Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross I'll watch and Trusting ever till I reach that golden strand just beyond the river in the cross, in the cross be my glory. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles today. Turn over to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're still in our Add to Your Faith series as we kicking off our new year and our new theme. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the first 10 verses today. I'll read aloud, you can read silently with me if you would please. <clears throat> Tonight, I want to invite you back. I um, just uh, sitting up here, um, feel like I'm going to, uh, the Lord would have me speak on this subject tonight. Um, it's, uh, let me see what the name of it is. Um, I'm going to give you um, suggestions for dealing with depression tonight. I'm going to give you seven things, I believe it is, that I've written out that will help you with depression. Okay? They'll help you with depression. Practical steps that you can take. Things that you can do to help you with depression. It's a big factor. It's an issue today. So many people are struggling in this area. And you know what? If you're struggling in, with it, you are not alone. I promise you that. You're not alone. But tonight I'm going to share just seven things tonight that I think will help or could help you if you'd exercise some of them that, in, in this area of depression. So tonight we're going to talk about those, share those tonight, all right? Let's go ahead and um, look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. 1 through 10. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Again, the Apostle Peter, he looked around him and he saw so many believers who had started out right in their Christian life, began strong, and yet found themselves sidetracked by the immoral culture around them. There were a number of false teachers as well that sought to convince them that they were free to live any way they chose, that God wasn't as concerned about how they live as He is as how they feel. But the fact is, is that these particular believers were headed in the wrong direction, and the Apostle Peter was determined to make an impact in their life, to do something for them by writing to them, by encouraging them, by helping them. Again, they'd begun well, but they were not going to finish strong or well at the rate they were going. And so Peter, he writes this letter, and he begins to share with them some things that will help them to neither be barren nor unfruitful and enable them to never fall. Because that's really the goal, and that's the desire of every pastor. That's the goal and the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That's the desire of every parent in this room for their children, that they neither be neither barren nor unfruitful and that they never fall. We want folks to succeed. God wants us to succeed. Parents want children to succeed. And the Apostle Peter looked over the church and said, there is a problem here, and it must be addressed. I want to give them some tools that they that in their hand that will enable them to overcome and to be victorious. And so the apostle, he kind of looks at the Christian life as a matter of addition, kind of a spiritual arithmetic problem. And he begins to give them this sevenfold progression in the, the growth of the Christian life. And he's basically saying to them, if you want to neither be barren nor unfruitful, if you don't ever want to fall, then you're going to have to add some things to your faith foundation. It will not be enough that you've simply come to Christ. It will not be enough that you simply invited Him into your life as Savior and Lord. It will not be enough that you're on your way to heaven. No, if you truly want to be neither barren nor unfruitful, if you honestly want to finish without falling, you're going to have to add some things to that faith that you exercised in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, add to your faith virtue. We noted that virtue has to do with the pursuit of Christ-likeness and moral excellence. It's an attitude and a desire to be like Christ and say, I'll let nothing and no one come between me and my pursuit of being like Jesus. We said that we're to to virtue, we're to add knowledge. Not just any knowledge, but the knowledge of the person, the work, and the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we possibly be like Him if we know nothing of Him? Then we go on, he says, we are to add to knowledge temperance. And that temperance had to do with self-control. And that self-control that, that demands self-denial. We're able to say no to ourselves. We don't have to be bound by our, our desires or our lusts. We can have victory over them. Internally, we are moved to do things in the flesh. We're able to say no to self. Self-control. And to temperance, we're to add patience. We said that patience or This aspect of endurance is the ability to remain faithful to God under pressure. Pressure from an outside world that is always trying to get us to bend our knee to bail. Yet we are to remain consistent in our hearts. We're to always look to Him. In the midst of trial and tribulation, in the midst of heartache and and hurt, we're able to say, Lord has a, He, my God, I believe in Him, I trust Him because He has a purpose for me and has a purpose for this world, has a purpose for the universe, and I fit in that purpose, and I trust God to meet my need and to be there for me no matter what comes my way. We patiently trust Him. And then to patience, we said, the apostle went on to say, you need to add godliness. And we said that godliness could be said to be like the New Testament equivalent to the fear of the Lord. And 
We could define godliness as a God-fearing lifestyle that promotes righteousness and opposes evil. We said that godliness, that the godly man himself is not just being good, he's doing good. He or she stands up against evil, not just for Jesus Christ in the sense, but against evil. Whether it be in their home or their own life or whether it be in the culture in which they live, they're going to stand up and be counted. They're going to say, listen, I can't stand by and watch the name of Christ being drugged through the, the muck and the mire. I can't allow sin to reign in my heart, my life, my family, my home, my church, my country without saying something. A godly man or woman. And then once again, Peter continues now with his spiritual math problem. And he says, And beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. He says, now we need to add to this godliness. Yes, we can take a strong stand on behalf of our God. Yes, we can oppose evil with all our heart. But we must be careful to add brotherly kindness. You know, even though we're partakers of the divine nature, according to verse 4 of our passage, we are prone to fall into relationship-destroying sins. Sins like... Gossip and bitterness, anger, favoritism, envy. Those are so natural for us. What they are basically is they're a characteristic of, as the Bible said in verse 4 again, corruption that is in the world through lust. Instead of exhibiting that divine nature that should be displayed in our life, we allow the flesh to rule and reign. And in our relationships it is evidenced by our poor attitude toward one another. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that Peter commands us to cultivate this aspect of brotherly kindness because it is not a natural virtue. It is extremely unnatural. And so today, we want to address this issue. We want to look at this next piece of the puzzle. None of us want to be neither barren nor unfruitful. None of us want to fall. None of us want to be on the outside looking in a year from now. But if we do not add to our faith some things, we will indeed be casualties and possibly fatalities in this battle we call the Christian life. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's consider this issue of brotherly kindness being added to our faith foundation. Father, we come to you. We need you today. We love you and we ask for your leadership. Father, give us wisdom from your word. And may your Holy Spirit drive truth home in our hearts. Father, fill me with your spirit and may I be your mouthpiece only. I have nothing in myself to give. I pray, Lord, that you would just bring to my remembrance those things which I have read and studied and prepared. And Lord, if you would be so gracious to use me today, I'd be pleased. Oh, Father, fill me and use me and bless your people. Anoint every listening ear, and may we hear with spiritual ears today. May we leave with a true desire to exhibit brotherly kindness. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the word for brotherly kindness is a word that you're probably familiar with, Philadelphia. We talk about the city of brotherly love. But in reality, this is a word that's used in Scripture, and it's a compound word made up of two smaller words, philia, meaning affection, and Adelphus meaning brother. And so we're talking about brotherly affection or brotherly kindness as it, is, as it is interpreted or as it is explained in the scriptures. It's interesting to note that the secular Greek culture or the secular Greek world in New Testament times, they applied this term or reserved this term solely, solely for family members, blood relatives. So this word was used, this, this aspect of brotherly kindness or affection was applied to simply or only blood relatives. But then we have the church that comes along and the church adopts this particular statement or this word into the culture of the church. 
Why? Because in the culture of the church, when we come to Jesus Christ, we become part of a family and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are equally blood relatives through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it may not be comforting to you as you look beside you today to think these are truly my brothers and sisters. But we are all from the same offspring, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is interesting also to note the distinction between brotherly kindness and the next word that we will note, which is love. There's somewhat of a distinction. They are very similar in some regards. The way they are expressed is very similar. However, there's a difference. Brotherly kindness is different from love in that it is a feeling of affection toward and a willingness to share with those who are members of the family. Those who share something in common, brotherly kindness. We are all part of one family. We all are brothers and sisters in Christ. And brotherly kindness is something that is shown toward those of a common bond. Love, on the other hand, extends itself past that. Love goes past that into the world itself. It even addresses those who we have a tremendous distaste for or a dislike even. Those that dislike us. Those that repulse are repulsed by us or to us even. And we say we're going to love them even though they do not love us. We're going to love those that have nothing in common with us. And that's what that love is about. We'll talk about that next week. But today we're talking about caring about or being kind-hearted, tender-hearted to those who we have a common bond with. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness could be defined as a God-empowered affection for and service to those in the household of faith. An affection, a God-enabling. Because you cannot do this in your own strength. A God-enabling or empowering affection for and service to those of the household of faith. That's what brotherly kindness is. Again, the world emphasizes some things. It emphasizes something we call multiculturalism. It emphasizes political correctness. And in each of those situations, it tries to achieve unity by forcing every one of us to protect, tolerate, even celebrate the distinctions of one another. The differences of one another. You're to celebrate the differences. See, God and His Word is slightly different. Well, diametrically different. And that it promotes unity by commanding us to reinforce what we have in common. So when I look at my brother or sister, I don't look at the difference and say, I don't like that. I can't stand that. That bothers me. No, I look at them and say, they are a child of the King, like me. They have the blood of Christ coursing through their veins like I do. They have a home in heaven like I do. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them like I do. We are one family. We're brothers and sisters. We have so much in common. See, the essence of friendship and the essence of brotherly kindness are very similar, aren't they? You say, well, how? Well, they're grounded in the aspect of sharing something in common. Friendship's built on commonality. How can two walk together except they be agreed? I'm close friends because I have many things in common with them. Me and my friend are tight. Why? Because we feel the same about so many things. We look at things the same way. We love the same things. We have so much in common. Our interests are similar. Our desires are similar. Our goals are often similar. We have something in common, and it creates what we would call friendship. Well, brotherly kindness is the same. It's built on commonality. As we consciously remind ourselves of the common family origin that we come from, 
the common family goals that we have. It reinforces the foundation of brotherly kindness and encourages us to respond accordingly. The truth is, is that brotherly kindness is a natural outgrowth of a person who continues to cultivate godliness in their life. You'll notice in our list again that godliness is listed fifth. And we've already talked about virtue and knowledge. We talked about, you know, temperance and patience. And we said how each of those kind of builds on the next. And you need the one and then you add the other to it. And it ultimately brings you to a place of godliness where now we have the, the devotion that we need in Christ to, to, to be in the Word of God and to study the truth of God, to know Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden we add some discipline to it through the temperance in the sense that that inward ability to say no to self. And we then look at patience, which is able to say yes to God in every circumstance and situation without feeling bitterness or anger toward Him, knowing that He has a purpose and plan for our life. So we take that devotion and we take that discipline and it ultimately culminates into what we would call courage. And now we can stand with gr- grace and with purpose and we say God I will stand for you I will live for you I will serve you and I will do it openly publicly and to that we add brotherly kindness there is a in touch aspect to God we have this walk in relationship that is abounding we have learned to say no to this flesh and self And let's be honest, we are a selfish people. We may be sincere, but we are selfish. And really, when it's all said and done, if we had things to do it our way, we would. Our way. Because we like our things. And we like our way. And we like our flesh. And we like our pleasure. That's that's humanity. That's atomic nature, isn't it? That's how we were all born in Adam. But in Christ, we're new creatures now. We're able to say no to self, and we're able to die to self, and we're able to resurrect and live Christ-like now. See, the godly person's goal is to love what God loves, to hate what God hates. Someone says God hates? Yes, He hates sin. Since he has grown, this godly man or godly woman has grown in love for the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he or she does not find it hard to love the rest of the Father's children in the way the Father loves them. Let's just be frank today. How we do with this one truly reflects on our true spirituality. It is a spiritual litmus test. When we can't get along with one another and we have attitudes toward one another and we are bent about this and bent about that and upset about this and upset about that and bow up about this and bow up about that and can't stand one another and have problems with one another and can't get along with one another, we are simply admitting our spiritual train wreck in our life. Folks, listen. Let's not complicate the Christian life. It's simple. Love people like God loves people. Love righteousness like God loves righteousness. Hate sin like God hates sin. Elevate those things that God elevates and put down those things that God, in a sense, puts down. We have the mind of Christ, and without the mind of Christ... I promise you, it's hard to love those God loves and to care about those that God cares about. Now, in Scripture, we're admonished to do some things. This brotherly kindness is manifest in the Scriptures. It's, we're given some, some truths here. Let's take just a moment and look at a few of them. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to look at just a few verses and see how we should respond to one another. Because really, this is the reality. As we come together today in this place... If we know Christ is our Savior, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a part of the same family. You are as much a brother to me as my own physical brothers. 
Now, we, I know we've lost that. Today. And may I say that, honestly, it's getting more difficult to teach this truth because the family is being so desecrated in our culture that we don't even know what family is anymore. So it's hard for us, as even as believers, to know what it means to have family. What are some of the outworking of family? How do family work together and get along together and deal together? We have so many dysfunctional homes and families that even we, as believers, struggle to know how we're to treat one another. And again, the Word of God has, then, has to be then our, our true means of understanding and knowledge. How am I to treat my brother? How am I to treat my sister? How am I to view my brother and sister? How should I respond to my brother and sister? I may not be able to go back and look in my past. I may not be able to consider how I was raised and make that a, 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 a parallel. I, may, I have to just truly understand what the Word of God says and do it. And that's what we all need to do, really, when it's said and done. We have so many preconceived ideas that sometimes we're truly doing things our way when we think it's God's way. So let's see what God does say about this issue. Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. First of all, in Romans 12, verse 10, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. What's he saying? Be warm-hearted. Be warm-hearted. Kindly affectioned one to another. Be warm-hearted. Be others-focused. What does he say? In honor, preferring one another. He's saying, prefer others before self. I look at my brothers and sisters today, and I say to myself, well, uh, you know, uh, how should I treat them? Well, I ought to be warm-hearted. I shouldn't be cold-hearted toward them. I shouldn't be... Hello, how are you? Fine. Glad to hear it. Like I'm not busy enough. But not only that, I, I shouldn't be that way. I should be warm-hearted. And I should be others-focused. I should be genuinely concerned about them. I should be caring about them. Oh, listen, I understand you can't be involved and in, in focused in on everybody in this auditorium at one time, but there is an element there where our heart breaks for one another. When we read something in a, a, a prayer letter or we see something or hear about someone going through a difficult time or we recognize the fact that somebody seems a little bit down and disturbed and we go to them and we can say to them, hey, listen, I love you and I care about you. And listen, what can I do for you? Putting someone above ourselves. Why don't you sit here on the end today instead of me? I know I'm more comfortable in the end because I like to feel like I can get out at any time. But you know what? It's not about me. It's about you today. Be warm-hearted. Be others-focused. Ephesians 4.32. Let's look at that. Ephesians 4.32. I think we're going to run through these. I'm going to skip a bunch and go right to the end, okay? So I can tell you how to get this done or accomplished. Not that it's really any great secret, mind you. (laughs) You'll go, oh, that makes sense. That means it's not any easier than I thought it was. But anyway, look what it says, Ephesians 4.32. And be ye kind one to another. He's talking to the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be kind. Be kind. You say, I know, brotherly kindness. Yes, but be kind. Is it kind to rip somebody? Is it kind to tear them apart? Is it kind to say bad things about them? Is it kind to to look at them and laugh? Is it kind to point out their faults and their failures? Is it kind to say to them, look, oh, look, you got a big old thing on your face and you look stupid today. I mean, how kind is that? Now listen, I mean, we, we kind of laugh about stuff like that, but you know what? It's funny how we like to point out everybody's faults and problems. We've got to learn to be kind to one another. He says, and be ye kind one to another. If everyone's not going to laugh, if everyone's not going to enjoy it, then don't say it or do it. It's funny how we all like to have a good laugh at the expense of somebody. Now listen, I'm all for laughing and I enjoy good life. And sometimes buddies and friends can get together and they can say things to one another that you couldn't say to just 
other people. And I realize that. Brothers and sisters can say things. They know each other and they've been through things and they remember things of the past. And there may be a characteristic or a quality that stands out and they'll go, oh, blah, blah, blah. And then everybody laughs and they go, oh, pff, you guys are crazy. And then that's fine. I understand those things. But we also need to be very aware of who can handle that and who can't. Yes, amen. Be kind. He says, be tender-hearted. Man, we lack compassion. You know, we lack compassion. Now, I, listen, I understand that sometimes people just walk in the door and they just want to unload their problems every time they hit you. And you're thinking, whatever, here we go again. I don't think, I don't get that. I don't even get, I don't get that here at church. I don't know if you do, but I don't get that. And usually pastors talk about how people unload their problems on them. Man, I think we have a great church. And I think we have a great people. And the people come here to worship and to lift up Christ and to magnify the Lord. And I don't feel that when I, when I meet people and talk. And if you have a problem and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not going, oh my goodness, here we go again. I don't think that because people don't do that to me. They don't every time I walk in the door, Pastor, I just want you to know I've had a horrible week. I don't get that. Praise God. Listen, that's not really for now, but that is brothers and sisters, though. As we're talking to our brother or sister, and we notice there's something that doesn't seem right, or their heart's breaking, we might ask them, is there something I can pray for you about? I'm, not, I'm concerned about you. Tender-hearted, having compassion. No, forgiving. He says, forgiving one another. Man, how we struggle with that. I mean, somebody didn't invite us to the activity and forever we will be forever angry at them. They're jerks. I don't like them. They don't like me. And I'm sick of it. Fine, I won't go to any of the activities then. And you say, that's ridiculous. That's way overstated. No, it's not. Well, how's come that group got to sing again? I don't get it. How's come? I'm practicing too, you know. Well, I don't really know, but there's probably a reason, and I don't need to go into it because I may not be very kind right now. <laughs> but the fact is, is that we need to forgive one another. I mean, I had brothers growing up. I had three brothers, and let me tell you something. We didn't always get along. I mean, things happen. But we had to be able to put it behind us and say, whatever, it's okay. I'm not going to let that eat at me. I'm not going to let that. That's my brother. No matter what happens in life, no matter where we end up, he's got my back, I got his. We may not agree on some things. We may have some problems, but I'm not going to focus on what we don't agree on. I'm going to focus on what we have in common. And I'm going to forgive them for that thing that they said or did, because although they may have messed up and screwed up, I know I have too in the past. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It kind of goes right into this one here. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. He makes sure we know that we ought to forgive. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Again, the real motivation for Forgiveness is what? Not what they do in response, but what Christ did on our behalf. I'll forgive you, not because you deserve it, not because you even asked for it. I forgive you because he forgave me. That's how we forgive. For his sake. But notice this. Forbearing one another. You know what that means? Being patient and putting up with one another. Do you realize that God understands that we're all a little bit different? And some are even more so? You know what I mean? And someone says, that drives me crazy. Yeah, I know, we're different. But hold on. The Bible's telling us here for brothers and sisters in Christ to be patient and put up with each other. Get along. Every time, that drives me crazy when he says that, does that, looks that way, acts that way, dresses that way. Drives me crazy. Um, let's see. Forbearing one another. Putting up with one another. 
Being patient with one another, that's a good thing. That's a godly... Listen, God, how patient is God with us? How, how forbearing is He with your misfires and your problems and your attitudes and, and your circumstances and your situations and your perspective? My perspective. How patient is God with me? Do you know what? Do you know what I did yesterday? Can I tell you? Hold on. Hold on to your seat. Here's what I did yesterday. I sinned. I did. I sinned yesterday. And you want to know something? God still loves me. And you want to know what else? God said, you better confess it, Mark, because I want to be able to bless you. If you want my blessing, you have to confess that as sin and deal with it. However... I put up with you so much. And I will continue to put up with you because you are my child. I'm not, I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to have to get your attention if you don't get, get with the program. I'm not going to condone it or endorse it in your life by no means. But if I kicked you out of the household of faith every time you sinned, you might as well just stand on the outside and never get in because you'd just be in and out and in and out every other second. You get where I'm going with this? He's forbearing. Puts up with us. He's patient with us. And that we'll turn around on the other hand and we'll look at a brother or sister in Christ who God loves and is forbearing too and we'll point our finger and say, I don't like him. I don't like her. Because they're not like me. That's really the issue. They're not like me. So because they're not like me... There is zero in my book. Put their name down. I have nothing to do with them. Kind of like John Wayne, quiet man. Remember the guy he gets in a fight with, in the big bar scene fight? And he's all like, put his name down. Writing his name down. Because he doesn't want to forget what that guy just said or did to him. He's going to hold that against him the rest of his life. It's in the book. And you want to know something? Believers are like that with other believers in the church. Write it down. I'll never forget that when I went to get in the van the other day, they jumped in front of me. I don't appreciate that. Selfish, self-centered little snot. Isn't that how we are? And then at family dinner that next night, we're talking about that person and how they dissed us, dogged us out. Sad, isn't it? How petty we are with our own brothers and sisters who God loves. We have so much in common together, but we can't get along. I'm not saying we don't at times. I'm just saying that many times it's hard. It's work. I know that. But look at what God tells us we're to do. Now, let's look over at 1 Peter 5.5, 5, and this will be the last one. Then I'm going to give you five very quick things. I'm not going to dwell on them, but notice what it says in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. When it's all said and done, let's just be honest. Our pride is our greatest, greatest deterrent here. It, it's our, our greatest enemy. Notice what the Bible says in, in 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder... Yea, all of you be subject one to another. He's talking about the church now. Be subject one to another. You know what that means? Just because I'm older doesn't mean I treat that young man like he's nothing. I'm subject to him. If he has a need, I'm, I'm very aware of it. I want to help him if I can. I don't look at him and go, your problems are nothing. You're just a stupid little kid. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything. Leave me alone. I'm busy. I got big people stuff to do. You know how stupid that is? Now listen, I, I, I'm not one of these big fans of running around and treating kids like adults. They're not adults. They're kids. But I'm going to tell you something. We are, what's the Bible say? The Bible simply says, very quickly, it says, all of you be subject one to another. That means that I am to submit to that young man. 
that he is important to God. He's a somebody. He's a big deal to God. Because he's a big deal to God, he's a big deal to me now. That's what the Bible says. I don't just say, I submit to the people who will meet my need. I submit to the people who can give to the budget. I submit to the people who will give to the building fund. I submit to the people who can elevate the ministry. I submit to the people who make me feel good. I submit to the people who pat me on the back. No, I submit to everybody in the household. That's what we have to do. Every last one of us. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with what? Humility. That lacks, doesn't it? In my own life, I struggle with this. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Boy, just for that reason, we ought to work hard at being humble before mankind and before especially the brothers and sisters. See, these are characteristics that are not natural. Some people are more quiet than others, and so it seems that they're more humble sometimes. But just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're humble. You know, the unity of the believers is vital today. It's it's truly... It's indispensable. It's a must if the body is to effectively accomplish what God intended it to. When the body's fighting itself, we call this an autoimmune disease. See, when the body's fighting itself, we call it an autoimmune disease. And doctors are baffled by this. We're still trying to figure out ways to deal with it. But what we do know is when the body begins to turn on itself, even doctors are struggling to help the person. You want to know something? The church often has an autoimmune disease. And it is turning on itself. The Bible says in Galatians 5.15, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Humility. Our greatest example of this is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And you can see that humility, that attitude of humility in how he patiently put up with the failures of his disciples, how he tenderly spoke with the woman at the well, how he kindly dealt with Nicodemus and his questions, how he tenderly touched the blind eye and healed the lame and the beggars, how he met their every need, how he accepted the Samaritans, how he submitted himself to Pilate and even to the Jewish leaders. Well, that didn't mean that he was a big wimp or he was some kind of pacifist, that he just put up with anything and everything. No, the Lord Jesus Christ would confront the sinner and he opposed the sin. He stood toe-to-toe with the religious, religious men and women of his day that were, were standing in arrogance in opposition to the word of God. He rebuked those who introduced sin into the temple. He, as a matter of fact, even removed by force those who made the house a den of thieves. Jesus Christ was no pushover, but may I say today, he had humility. And because he had humility, he could, ex- he could ex- uh, share kindness with people. It wasn't about him all the time. And he looked past the exterior and he saw the heart. You know, we are foolish today in that we do not see the way God sees. Can I borrow this? Don't say it. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Watch. If I walk through the doors like that, everybody in this room would know something broken in my body there was a need in my life and there would be people moving out of my way so that I could get through there might even be somebody that that believes in chivalry enough to sit out take themselves out of a seat and say sit on the end so you don't have to get through the aisle with this there'd be people would say I know that he's broken I know that there's a problem and I have compassion on him May I say today that as people walk through that door, 
They walk like you and I do. But inside, they're as broken as that man or woman on that walker. And we have the audacity to look at them with our pride and our arrogance and expect them to be just like us. We don't know where they came from. We don't know what they've gone through. We don't know what their upbringing was like. We don't know what hurts and ills and pains they've endured in their lifetime. But no, we're going to judge them and we're going to say, you're not like me, I don't like you. All along, they're broken vessels. Just as broken as the man with a leg that's broken, an arm that's broken, or a neck that's broken. And God in heaven knows their hurt and their heartache. We are so insensitive to the Spirit of God. We are so wrapped up in ourselves that all we can see is now, here, this place. We can't look past the exterior at all. Having no compassion or love, only disdain so often for those that don't measure up to our standard. God help us who call ourselves spiritual and run around here pointing fingers at people having a problem with the brothers and sisters when Jesus Christ loves us all and says you have so much in common why don't you get over yourself? Say what's the problem? Is there a problem in the church? Absolutely not but I don't want there to be one either. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter was trying to avoid. That you neither be barren nor unfruitful. And that you never fall. Do you know why when most people are out of the church? Because they got their feelings hurt. Sometimes they got their feelings hurt for a real reason. They're wrong for how they're handling it. They didn't handle it scripturally. They held on to their hurt instead of giving it to Jesus Christ. But then a lot of times people are out of the church because they look at people and say, I can't get along with them. How sad is that? You can't get along with the people of God? Oh, they're just like you, sinners. But they have a big God today. I told you I'd give you these, so I'm going to give them to you fast. Here they are. One, we must seriously reflect on the actual relationship that we have with other believers because of the gospel. That means that we have to truly evaluate our relationship with others honestly. Really, how do you feel about your brothers and sisters? Not just the ones that you like, all of them. You know, the ones that rub you wrong. Let's be honest with ourselves for a while. We must seriously reflect on the actual relationship that we have with other believers because of the gospel. Number two, we must honestly evaluate our attitudes and actions toward others, especially toward other believers, to see if we are violating the commands of God as he's given them to us in the word of God. Remember we talked about those things, those others, and we said, okay, we're to be warm-hearted, we're to be other-focused, we're to be kind, we're to be tender-hearted, forgiving, patient, and put up with each other, we're to be humble. Well, evaluate yourself very honestly, your attitude and your actions toward others. How do they line up? It's one thing to say, I feel like I do a good job in this area. The question is, do you, based on the prerequisite of Scripture? Three, we must repent of where we have violated the will of the Father about these matters. When we fail to love or to show kindness toward the brothers and sisters in Christ, it is an offense to our Heavenly Father first. It's an offense to Him. We have sinned against God. We need, to make, we, we, we need to repent of that. And then we need to repent of our actual sin toward mankind or our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then four, we must be reconciled to those members of the body whom we have violated or hurt or otherwise wronged. You have to get it right now. You know, the one that you said that stupid joke to that hurt them instead of helped them? You need to go to them and apologize and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me for that? You, you know that person that you were holding that grudge against because they laughed too loud in the service? Because they spit on you one day accidentally? You know, when they were talking and it hit you right there and you went, oh God, I can't stand talking to her. Or him. Every time I talk to him, it bothers me. I'm going to avoid them like the plague. You need to go to them and say, you know what? I just want you to know I've avoided you. 
There's some things you've done in the past that bothered the life out of me. I want you to know. If, if, I mean, if they know it and you know it, you better get it handled. Now, if that's just you knowing it and they don't know it, don't say that to them. You get where I'm going. We've got to make this right, folks. You don't just confess to God. You have to deal with man. You have to deal with the woman in, in, in this place. You've got to deal with your brothers and sisters. When I offended my brother or sister, and I didn't have sisters, thankfully, but when I, I, had, I had brothers, I had to go to them and say, you know, I'm sorry for that. I shouldn't have said that. Maybe they were skating or something, and I made fun of them or something in front of a girl, and I made them look stupid. I had, I'd get, had to eat at me. And I think that ain't helping my relationship with my brother. I go to him and say, hey, you're, okay, man, dude, okay, listen, you can't skate with a hoop, but I shouldn't have said that in front of her, okay? I made, you feel, I made you look dumb. I know that. I'm sorry for that, all right? You can say something about me in front of a girl next time. <laughs> Last, we must meditate upon Scripture and ensure that we continue to abide in the truth. So we're going to confess those things. We're going to repent of those things before God and before the people that we've hurt and harmed, and we're going to get it right. And then we're going to continue to stay right. And every time we're tempted to look at somebody cross-eyed, tempted to get graded and just, oh, we're going to say, you know what? Chill out. Love them like God loves them. They're part of your family. You've got to get along with them. They're brothers and sisters. Learn to focus on our commonality, not our differences. And learn, just love them and be kind to them. That's what they need more than anything else from you. And say that to yourself and do it. Realize what he's done for you. Are you saved today? You know, we serve a God that loves us. You better take that back. All right, brother, send that right back to the corner. That's Brother Rick's. (laughs) The only reason I knew is because of that thing on the front. But, uh, sorry, but I didn't mean to offend you. My brother in Christ. He can take it. I promise you he'll dish it out later. Um, are you saved today? Do you know Christ? I mean, he loved you so much he died on the cross for you. Before you become part of the family of God in the sense that you're brother or sister in Christ, you have to first be in Christ. And you know what? 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on an old cross. He shed his blood. He literally took your place. Instead of you paying for your sin, he paid in your stead. And I want you to know that his blood was shed just for you. It's how precious you are to him, how much he loves you. Well, the world will tell you that you just need a good career. You just need a good family. You just need this. You just need that to be happy. Let me tell you something. God in the heavens created us. And we can never truly be truly happy and complete without Christ in us because that's what he intended from the beginning. That was his purpose for us, to fellowship with him. Until you're in that relationship with him, you'll never be truly complete. May you find Jesus Christ today if you don't know him as Savior and Lord. And if you're a child of God, I don't know. The altar might be a good place to settle some, settle some sin in your life, to deal with some things this morning, to make sure that the house of God and the people of God and the, 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 the brothers and sisters in Christ, that we get along, that we dwell in unity together, that we allow Christ to have preeminence in our life, that we're truly seeking His glory, not our own comforts, our own pleasures. Father, help us.